Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England, and the Meaningful Life Institute. In this episode of Meaningful Journeys, I talk with Dr. Sachin Jain, who is a professor living in the United States, but is originally from India. Because of the religious and cultural diversity in India, millions of people go on pilgrimage journeys every year. I was really curious to talk with Dr. Jain about pilgrimage in India and also to hear about his own reflections on the Ramdevra pilgrimage, which is a pilgrimage that occurs in Dr. Jain's ancestral home state of Rajasthan. You are originally coming from India, and I I've not yet interviewed somebody who is coming from India or even Southeast Asia at this point. And so I'm really interested to hear about what your pilgrimage experiences are in your home country. Now, just to give you in context, India is a developing country and have similar challenges like most of the developing countries. One of the unique things as part of Indian culture is the caste system and the tribal regions. So most of the people from the lower caste don't have equal access to employment opportunities, medical care, health care, and other basic facilities. So that's the big reason why spirituality is plays such a huge role in India, because that's the only one source where individuals and families who don't have access to these basic facilities rely for their well-being and both spiritual and physical well-being. If you will see, pilgrimages are spread all over India. Some of the popular pilgrimages, particularly this Ramdevra pilgrimage, the reason it stands out as compared to other pilgrimages is it have acceptance in both Hinduism and Islam. Unlike most of the pilgrimages are either Hindu dominant or Muslim dominant. That doesn't mean that Hindus cannot participate in a Islamic tradition pilgrimage, but they are almost like an external guest. Versus with Ramdevra pilgrimage, it is jointly organized with both the communities. So that makes it uh, really unique when it comes to the Indian context. So how would a person find out about this particular pilgrimage? So most of the families in India, they will have a ancestral God. So there is no idea of a supreme God as in other religions. So families pick and choose their own gods. And most of the times they are influenced by the region they are born in. So when we talk about Ramdevra pilgrimage, most of the devotees are from the state of Rajasthan. So over the generations, they have heard the stories of Ramdevra, who was born in upper caste, but he 
being a prince and being a king, he did a lot of activities for social upliftment based on socioeconomic status. And that crossed the lines of both Hindus and Muslims. So anyone who was underprivileged, his policies helped them a lot. That's why he gained such a unique acceptance in both the religions because when it came to healing and helping he didn't discriminate it based on the religion or caste system so depending on which region families are originally from they have their own ancestral god to whom they do the pilgrimages okay so if i'm understanding you correctly the pilgrimage is focused on uh the devotion to the person of ramdevra Yes, so he was a 14th century ruler and the legend is he was born to a sonless king. So the king kept on praying. So Hindus believe that he is a reincarnation of Lord Krishna and Muslims, particularly who follow the Sufism tradition, they believe that there were five angels who traveled from Makkah to have this king ascend. So that's the legend behind this 14th century ruler. And over his lifespan, not only he had resources from his kingdom, but he also was believed to have miraculous healing powers. So when you will see most of the attendees are either who follow him as part of their ancestral family or who have heard the legend of his miraculous power. So they go and attend this pilgrimage, particularly Ramdevra pilgrimage for, let's say somebody's son or daughter is not feeling well. They take this pilgrimage for their well-being. And most of the times, like if someone have, like a, for families who are following the tradition of following Ramdevra as their ancestral God, whenever they have, let's say their kids get married or they have a young one born, so most of the people are there for both happy reasons and also for their struggles of the life. What types of healing do people expect will happen because of this pilgrimage? One of the articles based in, uh, which was published in New York Times on Ramdevra pilgrimage, and they actually interviewed some of the pilgrims. So one of the pilgrims said that they had five daughters and they wanted a son. So they kept on doing the pilgrimage. And then after five daughters, they were blessed with two sons. That is one of the rationale. The other is someone going through terminal diseases, tumors, cancers. And as India's healthcare system is not efficient enough with a 1.5 billion population, it's very to access those specialized services so that's the other reason they seek out the pilgrimage when i was volunteering at the pilgrimage one of the individuals i met he took the whole pilgrimage barefoot and it is in middle of the desert the india's biggest desert thar desert so he had been walking barefoot for two weeks and when i saw him he was just sitting under the truck the food truck and I started talking to him, like, what, what is prompting him to take this pilgrimage? Because this seems pretty intense. Because the sand, when it is 100 degree outside or 120 degree Fahrenheit, the sand gets really hot. So he said early in his life, he lost his mom. And now he's struggling to live 
with his stepmother and he was in his teen age so he wasn't even a full blown adult so he is seeking this pilgrimage to find more peace and then i asked like why barefoot why can't you just put a shoe on or some people just like hop on a bicycle or a bike he said the deeper the pain the higher the intensity of the pilgrimage he said like i won't be able to understand the rationale behind taking the barefoot because i haven't seen the pain what he have gone through in his own life this point that you're talking about regarding sacrifice is so interesting is the theme of sacrifice consistent amongst the people that you've spoken to either about this particular pilgrimage or other pilgrimages in india also is there a sense that the level of sacrifice directly correlates with the transformation that occurs as a result of the pilgrimage when i think of my own upbringing in indian culture sacrifice is a part of day to day life just example like fasting so people will be doing fasting every week because the life in general is very chaotic daily sacrifices become part of getting this extra favor for keeping the family safe so i i completely agree that there is that component the higher the sacrifice the higher the chances of getting the returns but i just don't know how people are motivated for that extreme of an journey i personally have never found that courage in my own life so i really applaud them and i have seen people struggle to the extremity but taking a two week journey barefoot in middle of the desert there's something beyond my own conception but i cannot say that it doesn't happen because i have seen it happen and i have seen the legs completely swollen they were completely like blisters were all over i have no idea how people can even walk with those conditions but in indian culture the other idea is that as a human being we really cannot experience the full potential of being human until we keep on practicing these sacrifices so i think indi- individuals initially start with the smaller sacrifices and then gradually keep on increasing those sacrifices i'd like to go back and ask you about the specific details of this pilgrimage i heard you say that it was 2 weeks in duration and that it's a walking pilgrimage and i'm wondering about the scope how many people go on this pilgrimage and how often does the pilgrimage happen most of the times most of the pilgrimages happen once or twice a year so there are certain auspicious months that's when these pilgrimages happen now every year they change because india's calendar is not like a completely solar calendar it's a combination of both solar and lunar calendar so depending on the year those months change but the auspicious times are like usually two months then next upcoming is in march so march april is another one and then october november will be the other one so october november is the bigger one march april is the smaller one so march april is usually for female goddesses versus october november the fall one is usually for male gods so you said for this particular pilgrimage the majority of people 
live in the geographic area where it occurs. So are there other people that come from great distances or is it mainly just constrained to people who are living there? Over the years with the migration, most of the people have moved out. My ancestral village is also in Rajasthan. And when my grandfather was in his early adulthood, the house hosted around 300 people. There was no space in the house. So my great-grandfather asked my grandfather to make a new house. So he moved to a new city. So now I grew up in Uttar Pradesh. So yes, there will be people who moved out of the ancestral village who will come back to the state of Rajasthan and then join one of the pilgrimages. So they may either fly directly to the nearest airport, which is Jodhpur or Jaisalmer for Ramdevra pilgrimage and then take a smaller walk or just join on the border and take a longer walk. Usually population wise, I will say anywhere around 3 million to 6 million, depending on auspiciousness of those particular month and particular year. It is hard to imagine for me the scale of all these people being in the same place at the same time. I grew up in a state uh, in the United States, the state of Wyoming, which has a population of approximately 500,000 people. So this is incredible for me to imagine all these people sharing the same piece of ground. Can you talk more about what happens during the pilgrimage from the beginning to the end? Sure. The one thing which is fixed is the week when they have to reach to the temple. Depending on the distance, every city or village will start their pilgrimage as a different time. So I know like from my village, it is going to be a 10 day pilgrimage. So first thing I'm going to reach my village and then I will join the walking carnival which will start from my village and most of the villages how they organize so there will always be two trucks one will have like basic tents medical supplies extra personnel some motorbikes loaded on for emergency care and another one will be just the food truck like a kitchen so that will cook food for everyone every village will have their own stop points which sometimes they meet all together at bigger destination but most of the times people stay within their own small groups and they continue their journeys uh, towards the temple so when i was volunteering i was with a with a group of other people who had relatives in different camps we had a car so just within one day we will travel like four or five different camps and volunteer two three hours at every different camps that way everyone can meet all the other relatives they had and during the week when they're supposed to reach the temple, that's where the big festival usually happens. The best part of being in the desert is sand cools down really quickly. And as I shared earlier, that this pilgrimage is also part of Muslims who follow Sufism. As part of Sufism, most of their prayers are in form of songs. So every evening you will have almost like a concert under the beautiful sky on the desert where the Sufi singers will sing throughout the night. So there will be a couple of groups. They will just keep on taking turns, but they are going to sing throughout the night. There are a lot of food stalls. So apart from the food trucks which are going through, there are independent vendors within the city because we are going to cross multiple different cities on the trip. 
so people like us who were volunteering we will stay at different hotels essentially the population of those cities also soars because of this extra employment opportunities and people sometimes come just for volunteering just to help other people out and that is also a time for them to clean up their own ancestral house so as i told you like my ancestral house which is now like 500 years old no one lives in that except during those two months when everyone comes in cleans up checks the inventories where the house is what's going on so those are some of the traditions which happens during those two months I have so many questions now. There's a piece of this that is very much about spirituality, and then it also sounds like there's a piece that's very much about family, homecoming, kind of merged together where people who may not be geographically located uh in the same area return home to see their relatives. They check on their family ancestral home and they catch up with each other. Is this sense of belonging to a kind of a very long history of people part of what makes this pilgrimage so special when i think of india like any festival is really special <laughs> and the reason being because day to day life is very stressful so people and families look forward to these breaks where they are not only going to have a relaxing time away from the day to day struggles of life but also reconnecting as you said like with the family so like the young generation will be meeting their counterparts only this two weeks most of the families make an effort to go to their own ancestral villages during these these are called navratras that week if they can do whole month that's great if not they at least try to come for a week and if they are coming for the week they don't open their own houses they just live with their own relatives because it's too much headache to open the whole house and then leave there is that spiritual component which is blended in depending on what sort of request they have for the gods and then there is family bonding where everything else is going well but they just want their families to know each other and not lose touch with each other so they they still engage in those evening prayers but they really don't have any intention of getting anything so when we talk about sacrificial part that is not happening when family gathering is the key purpose so they tend to enjoy more they are like okay they will be eating three times what they will eat during their day to day life but the whole goal is when they eat three times they are also serving three times so there is more service component instead of sacrificial component i'd like to go back to you being a volunteer during the pilgrimage how did you come to be a volunteer during this specific pilgrimage and what were some of your experiences as a person serving others during this time sure just to give you a little bit about my own background i was born in the third caste of india the top two caste the brahmins and rajputs or kshatriyas they control i will say politics judiciary law so everything bureaucracy most of those are controlled by them third caste is almost like the merchant caste when the upper caste have lot of kickback money they rely on my caste to clean it up like my sub caste 
Jain or Oswal is only 0.6% of India's population, but we control 60% of India as well. So growing up, I saw a lot of affluence. And I always had this idea that if I have this much wealth, what I used to see in one day, I will not work for the rest of my life. But I knew how much oppression was going in the society. So I will see my own family that they will be really devoted to the religion. They will do a lot of donation to these temples. But when it will come to help someone who is really hungry or who is just begging money, I saw like a huge difference, both in their verbal, non-verbal discrimination in India is very open. So they actually tell you that they are discriminating against you because you belong to this particular caste. So pretty early in my life, I, I had this passion for social justice and I didn't rely on those resources. So I started living a minimalist life very early on. So when my dad's friends, they will see my lifestyle, they always wanted their kids to have my lifestyle. So as part of this pilgrimage, my dad was supposed to go, but he ended up canceling at the last moment. So his friends asked, like, if Sachin can join on this trip. <laughs> and that was a big discussion point in my family because I grew up with nine other similar aged cousins and all were male. So the big discussion in my family, like, why only Sachin? So they were almost blaming my dad that I asked them a favor by taking Sachin and leaving other kids. But my dad said like it was only one spot and he didn't even propose my name. It was his friends who wanted to take me. So one thing I did early in my life was like, I will meet kids from kindergarten to elderly on a daily basis. So I developed communication skills to talk with different people across the developmental continuum. So I think that was the one of the reasons why they felt comfortable with me on the trip. So when we started the trip, I had no idea that we will be actually volunteering. I just got like a two hour notice that you are ready. You can just hop on the train. And so first part of the trip we took on the train and then we ended up renting a bigger vehicle, like a SUV to do the rest of the trip. Because as a share, like most of my fellow travelers had different relatives at different parts of the pilgrimage. So they wanted to meet them. That's how I got this opportunity to be part of a group of these 10 middle-aged adults who were thrilled to have me as part of their journey. How old were you at the time this happened? I was 18. I just completed my high school. And the reason I remember it so clearly, because this was the same year when India did their second nuclear test. So that was in 1998. So I was probably like 20. I will take it back. My biggest role was a person who can go and buy anything from the market. So whenever any of my fellow travelers said, okay, can you go and buy wheat? Can you go and buy rice? I was like their go-to person. And the reason I was their go-to person because I was the only one who didn't have any relatives on the pilgrimage. <laughs> Everyone else had their relatives. So they wanted to spend time with them. Even though I grew up in a really rich family, but I never kept a lot of money with me. So this was... Another time when I had to carry a lot of money always to buy stuff what they needed. So they always gave me a lot of cash. So I learned a lot of accounting and kept everyone's separate tabs. So that was my biggest role. 
and whenever I had the time, I will just talk to the fellow travelers about their own stories, what brought them here. And, and it was interesting, like how creative they were during the hot days to find the different shades. Because the more they can be in the shade part, the longer they have the power to continue the journey. Versus the more they are in the sun, the more chances of them giving up their commitment. So there were people who started the pilgrimage with the commitment of doing it barefoot, but then they switched it to a bike, they switched it to a car, they switched it to a bus. So they did halfway on barefoot and then halfway they just hopped on a bus. Then there were people who were like extremely committed and did the whole journey. One of the things which I learned as part of the pilgrimage, I did my own personal sacrifice was to do a 36 hour water only fast. And just to, as a gratitude to be able to be part of lives of so many people who were there. Can you recall any specific stories that seemed particularly memorable? I felt that that pilgrimage was a really critical point in my life because before this pilgrimage, I always thought that, okay, if I live a minimalist life, I can continue this journey on social justice. And there will be a moment when I don't have many challenges in my life where I could relax and just let it all go. This pilgrimage showed me that there will never be such a moment. Until I am alive, life is always going to bring me some challenges in one form or other form. That was a great moment of letting go for me. In past, even though I was meeting so many people, I was never hearing the struggles. They were sharing the happy moments with me. But when I was part of the pilgrimage, I was seeing firsthand the struggles of their life and the extremity of the sacrifices they were making to overcome those challenges. And it was across the developmental level. So it means there were kids who were part of the pilgrimage and there were like 90-year-old males who were part of the pilgrimage. When I think about my own spiritual journey, between 1998 and 2003, the year I moved to U.S., were the best. Spiritually, I felt way more fulfilled in those five years than any other time in my life. How do you think the pilgrimage contributed to that feeling of spiritual satisfaction or meaning for you? I had this deep realization that nothing I do in my life will matter when it comes to the challenges. So challenges are going to be there always. So I could just relax myself and let the nature take its own course. So essentially that strengthened my belief in supreme being i still don't have like a name for the supreme being but i realize that there is something beyond this physical form of body which have an ultimate say so whatever i do in this physical form i can never reach to the stage of no challenges earlier versus i was thinking like before the pilgrimage and after i came to the united states I latched on to the idea of pseudo-freedom, that I have the freedom to change my own life. I have the freedom to create positive changes in my own life. I have the freedom to avoid the pain versus in reality, it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> so the moment of letting go 
was that pilgrimage for me. I'm wondering about your observations. I mean, India is a very populous country. So being in a sea of humanity is daily life. Was there anything different about the pilgrimage and the way that people were together in these two weeks that seemed different than just being in day-to-day life? The best part of India is every day is like a Friday night. (laughs) So so like I, I grew up in the rural part of India and the population was around 3 million. But out of the 3 million, 2 million were concentrated in a three mile diameter. So like one and a half mile radius, (laughs) because outside the city limits, like if you go like 10 kilometers outside my city and there were like tiger crossings. So just like how we have deer crossings here in US, there were like tiger crossings. So when we talk about personal space, it have a whole different scenario in India. So the only time you have some personal space is when you are sitting in the movie theater, you have that chair as your personal space. But other than that, you are not even lucky enough to have that much space. <laughs> lucky or unlucky, means it could go either ways, depending on the personality, depending on the mood. But you are always among the people. Now, the difference between day-to-day life versus the pilgrimage for me were the evening songs and evening prayers. Those were like really refreshing. So having not only the meditation and service, but having music as part of the spiritual journey, that was the most unique experience I could recall from that pilgrimage. What made that such a special experience? It was almost like praising the struggles. The whole idea that, okay, if there were no struggles in the life, we won't have looked towards the Supreme Being. Most of the prayers or most of the songs were around the themes of how to be thankful and to have expressed gratitude for day-to-day struggles <laughs> because they are bringing us closer to the Supreme Being. When we first started talking, you mentioned that one of the reasons that spirituality is very important in India is because of the lack of access to medical or health care. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about whether healthcare providers or mental health providers in specific uh, advise people to go on a pilgrimage as part of their journey towards well-being and mental health, or, or could a pilgrimage even be a part of a patient's treatment plan? That's a really important question. Over the years, different shrines, different pilgrimage have their own different uniqueness. There is this another pilgrimage in Rajasthan is called Mahanipur Balaji. And that is one which is recognized for mental health. Then there is another pilgrimage in southern part of India, which is mainly for asthma. So no one is prescribing them, but just because of the word to mouth, they became so popular that anyone who have mental health issues, they tend to take that as part of their annual pilgrimage and anyone with asthma they go to this another holy person who have this history of treating asthma when i was working as a community counselor in india we were only three mental health professional a team of psychiatrists clinical psychologists and the counselor we were serving over two million population so our case loads on a daily basis were 200 to 300 clients 
as professionals, we never prescribe those. But most of the times people find out about them just because of the word to mouth, just because of the newspaper articles, just because of the media. And then they try to take those as part of their annual spiritual or pilgrimage plans. I think it would be amazing if all mental health professionals were asking about pilgrimage journeys. For over a decade, I have been focusing my research on both the psychological dimensions of pilgrimage journeys as well as the therapeutic outcomes and the dimensions of what lead to better health and well-being as a result of a pilgrimage journey. I've found that pilgrimages can be therapeutic in biological or physiological ways, in addition to leading to greater psychological, social, and spiritual well-being. I've also long advocated that mental health professionals should be asking about pilgrimages and sacred journeys to better understand people's holistic experiences. And ideally, this would occur not just in India, but in the rest of the world as well, as we're seeing that basically on all continents outside of Antarctica, pilgrimage journeys are growing. Stay tuned for an upcoming episode where I'll be exploring in more depth the health and well-being outcomes of pilgrimage journeys. You just heard Reflections on the Ramdevra Pilgrimage, produced by Dr. Heather Warfield and edited by Janine Marr, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Thank you for listening to Meaningful Journeys. This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England, and the Meaningful Life Institute. We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, or by email, info at MeaningfulJourneys.net, or our website, www.MeaningfulJourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.